0: Good morning. Good morning. I still appreciate what Roger said a moment ago as he prayed and talked about a, an event that looms large in the life of this congregation, and that is the Equipped Workshop. You'll notice it's probably with uh, not so much irony, the wisdom and forethought of our elders that the, the name of this workshop is Equipped in a year in which we are seeking to equip everyone for eternity. Now that is a goal that will never change, and that workshop's name will not change even as we develop new themes throughout the year. Uh, so I appreciate what he said. There is an opportunity before then for a segment of this congregation and those present to be able to be equipped for everyone to, uh, in that demographic to help themselves in view of eternity, and that's the men of this congregation Two weeks from this Friday, Friday and Saturday, Matt Wallen is coming up from Rome, Georgia, and he's going to speak at our men's retreat. We would love for every man who is present here to be a part of that event. Uh, Matt is coming up with a small group of men that he has a men's Bible study with. What I love about Matt is how eminently practical he is, how relatable uh, he is, uh, and uh, I know that we'll benefit from that. Uh, For those who are uninitiated, uh, unlike other events like Women's Retreat, I don't believe there will be any crafts that weekend. <laughs> but I think there are acts that will be thrown and guns that will be shot to in between the times in which we uh, are learning and growing in God's Word. So we would love to have you to be a part of that. Uh, January 27th, 28th, out at uh, Big Reedy Camp. House Beautiful lists the top ten gifts that people return every year after Christmas. And it's interesting to see what makes the top three of that top ten list. Number one on that list of things that people return every year after Christmas are shoes. And the reason is that typically they're the wrong size or they're the wrong style. Number two on that list is kitchen appliances. Perhaps they are deemed to be too practical. The third one really surprised me on the top ten list that House Beautiful published, and that is candy or sweets. And the reason why is that it conflicts with folks' New Year's diet goals. The first year that Kathy and I spent as husband and wife was in Livingston, Alabama. And I think that most of what I got her that year would have made House Beautiful's top ten list of items to be returned. The centerpiece of what I brought her for Christmas were a collection of tins from Cracker Barrel. I thought that they were beautifully decorated, and there was a variety of those. Problem was, nobody told me I should have put something inside of them. And so she got all of these empty tins, and it went down from there. I got her a sewing kit. I got her a rain poncho, the cheap kind, not the good kind. I got her an egg chopper, and well, if you want to know any more, she can tell you. You know, the thing is that I don't think the word romantic or thoughtful would have described the gifts that I gave. We were poor, we were living on a budget, and I was trying to be creative. And while Kathy was very sweet to me, do you think she's letting me forget that to this day? (laughs) Do you sometimes settle for less? Do you sometimes have that which is less than you desired laid at your doorstep? You know, when we think about Jesus and his mission and coming to this earth, he certainly came, most importantly, to bring us salvation. But he also said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. We're thrilled when we hear the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work within us. There is a word that is used in the New Testament, in every New Testament book, from the book of Matthew to the book of 1 Thessalonians, and that's the word abound. In the epistles, Paul is the only one to use that word. And that word that he uses, he uses most especially to a church that he had a great relationship with, but it was a church that struggled with problems. It was the church at Corinth. And as the apostle Paul uses that word, it's a word that has a great range in its meaning. When the word abound or abundant is used and it refers to things, what it means is or what it speaks to is having enough and then having leftovers. You think about the season of the year that we've just left from Thanksgiving Day to New Year's Day. We often have big feasts and what we'll do is we'll gorge ourselves and then we'll continue to graze on the leftovers for some time. We had so much, we have it left over. That's the idea in this word abound. The word, when it refers to people, also speaks of those who themselves have an abundance and those who we would consider rich. And how often have we rightly made the observation that here in this country of all places and at all times, God has blessed us materially in such a way that it's hard for us to fathom that most of the world does not live the way that we live. We have enough, and then we have so much more left over. But the word is also used with regard to moral qualities. And when it's used in that way, it is used to speak of that which is outstanding, that which excels. And it's that way in which the Apostle Paul is using it most often in the book of First and Second Corinthians. He's writing to this church, and what he wants them to know is that God does not... You know, that word abundant, it never means to subsist. It doesn't mean to scrape by. God wants us... To live in abundance, not chiefly or primarily is he concerned about the material side of that, but in the spiritual sense. And that's the way I want us to focus on that word today. In just three areas, I want us to be convicted of the idea that God does not want us to settle for less. And let me encourage you, in your life, don't settle for less. We don't want to settle for less in a relationship. We don't want to settle for less in a job. We don't want to settle for less in any area of our lives. But certainly that ought to be true in our relationship with God and all that God has called for us to do and be. Don't settle for less. May I encourage you, number one, this morning, don't settle for less when it comes to building up the church. Now the Apostle Paul, in writing these letters, in the first letter is addressing a question that the church at Corinth seemed to have about miraculous spiritual gifts. And somewhat as a follow up to what we saw in last week's lesson, I want you to think about how Paul goes to answer this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul acknowledges the existence of these miraculous spiritual gifts. And he lays them out in nine different categories. Ways in which God was working through the members of that church to grow the church. But then in chapter 13, he deals with the expiration of those gifts. That while they had the miraculous abilities in the first century, it was not the way God was going to always operate. But then in chapter 14, he deals with the exercise of those gifts. Whether we're talking about miraculous or non-miraculous gifts, the abilities that God has given to us, we are there are rules for the road and how we are to exercise those gifts. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says that these gifts exist for the common good. Everybody has these abilities that God has given to us, and he wants us to use those not to glorify ourselves, but to help others and to glorify God. And so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 30 says that these gifts exist so that the church may grow. And I love the different examples that he uses there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so as I look at the different body parts that Paul uses by illustration, I see that I can be a hand that reaches out to help somebody in need. I can be a foot that goes where God has called me to go as a Christian, sometimes in places I don't feel all that comfortable going, but I know he wants me there. Or I can be an eye that is noticing the little things that are going on. I can be a mouth that speaks words of encouragement. I can be a sympathetic ear. The Apostle Paul is saying that the gift, whatever you have, use it in such a way that you're going to help the church to be stronger. Don't settle for less than that abound under the edification of the church. But then in chapter 13, he says, look, uh, there's some statements of cessation. This knowledge, this tongue, this prophecy, they're going to be done away. But faith, hope, and love, they're going to continue. After the Spirit has revealed the Word in this uh, impressive way and has confirmed the Word through the miracles... You're still going to have faith, hope, and love. And as you look at the church at Corinth, you know they had to be struggling with how to exercise these gifts. Are their motives what they needed to be? But then as now, the Apostle Paul says, look, I want you to focus on why these exist. Everything that you are able to do is for the edification of the church. Whether it's tongues or prophecy or the interpretation of tongues. Look at verse 3 through 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, let it be done for edification. And no matter what good thing that you do, if your brother is not edified, it's been for nothing. Verse 17. And he says an all-encompassing statement in verse 26. He says, let all things be done for edification. Edification, to build up. So we understand our circumstances are different. So what are some applications that we can make to this idea that Paul would speak to us? Now that the age of miraculous spiritual gifts are past, you and I are still endowed with abilities to help the church to grow, what should I take away from this? First of all, we should never do what we're able to do simply out of duty. Now listen, we have a duty Jesus is teaching a parable in Luke chapter 17, verse 1 through 10. And he says, when you have done everything that you ought to do, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. There ought to live within our hearts this feeling of gratitude, indebtedness that we want to repay to our God. And so we're going to do everything that we can. But you know what? Doing duty can become drudgery and we can rob ourselves of delight. God wants us. To be zealous in doing everything that we do. Let's begin with the basics of that. What about when we come together and assemble as God's people? Is it possible for us to come together simply out of a matter of obligation and not have a zeal and passion and enthusiasm? I think that's why God includes statements like David's in Psalm 122 in verse 1 when he says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go unto the house of the Lord. The Hebrews writer is writing of people not unlike us who are feeling pressures from the world. And as we feel that, he says, Look, remember, when you come together, you're to stimulate one another unto love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24. Joy and delight ought to be one of the synonyms for you and me. When somebody thinks of us and thinks of our spiritual life... They ought to see us in that way. His delight is in the law of the Lord, Psalm 1 and verse 2. I delight in the Lord, Psalm 37 and verse 4. Or as David would say, I delight in your law and your testimonies, in your commandments and in your statutes, Psalm 119. I delight in the nearness of God. Is it possible for us to do what we do simply because we feel like we have to? Is it possible for us in the execution of leading in worship? For us to do so because, boy, you you know, I, I guess I've got tapped. I can't get out of it. I guess I've got to do it. There should be a delight that comes with that. Or what about in teaching a Bible class? It can be challenging. It can be difficult in those circumstances. What about in the execution of prayer and Bible study? What about in all that we do? We realize... That what uh, we're being told and what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is let it all be done for edification. Let's do it not just out of duty but out of delight. But I think there's a second application to be made here. As we look at this passage, I think what we're seeing is that what God wants for us is our best and not our leftovers. God wants our first fruits and not our fragments. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, the Bible says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I think we need that reminder because it's easy for us to, as we think about what we're going to give to God, to not necessarily be driven to give Him the first and the most. God has given everything for us, and so He deserves our very best. They struggle with that in Malachi's day. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. Malachi 3 and verse 8. And they weren't robbing him by giving him nothing at all. They were giving him something. But they were giving him the sick and the lame and the blind. And Malachi says in Malachi 1 verse 8, you wouldn't give that to your governor. He wouldn't accept that. And so when you can't give it for anything else, you come and you try to give it to me. God says, I deserve more than that. A God who has given everything for us deserves our all and our best. And so as we challenge ourselves in this new year, I believe that what we can do is say, I'm going to show God that I'm going to put your will and the work of your church above my wants and my desires and my agenda. How do we make that practical? Why not consider this year making one more visit every month? To somebody who is sick and shut in or elderly or somebody who has been a visitor to our assembly. Maybe say, Neil, I don't do that now. Well, add one to it and think about how 12 months from now you will have made 12 such visits. And what if all of us did that? What a difference would that make? Well, furthermore, maybe I can think about uh, all this talk about things like equipped and ways to be involved in the seven vision groups that we have Perhaps what I can do this year is I can be involved in serving the Lord in some way that I have never done before. Maybe to stretch and to grow, to step outside of, of what I'm comfortable with. Or perhaps what I, I might can make as, as a, a goal for myself in this year to give God more than just the leftovers is I can say in view of what Roger prayed so eloquently about this morning with the equipped workshop, I'm going to take a day off. And I'm going to come and I'm going to attend that and be a part of that. There are so many different ways for us to look into our faith life and say, God, I want to give you the best that I have because you've given the best for me. And the end result of that, not only is it going to help me, but it's going to help the body of Christ. Paul's going to use that word abound again in the second letter in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And he's saying that God's given you abundant grace. And out of that, I want you to abound unto every good work. Now that was talking specifically about financial contributions, but here's the principle out of that. That when you give God abundantly, He will never let you fall behind. He'll never make you lose as the result of that. God says, put me to the test. And I will show you that as you give generously of every part of your life, I will help you and you will notice the good that it does. And so the second application that we make this morning by way of that first point is that what we do, we need to do not uh, giving God the leftovers but our first fruits. But then the third application is that we should never let the performance eclipse the person. It's ironic, isn't it, in Luke chapter 10 That you have Martha who is feverishly making all of these preparations for the coming of Jesus. And she's so caught up in her work that when Jesus is right there in her midst, she can't or she loses sight of him. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 41. When we think about that, it can be easy for us to lose sight of the person in trying to do that duty or that work of the Lord. You know, Jesus was able to to focus not just on the teaching and the preaching and the miracles. He was able to focus on the individuals. So as we think about this task that we have, God has demonstrated to us that he wants us to abound for the edification of the church. Don't settle for less when it comes to that. I'd like for us to take just a moment, don't know what all is going on, but let's go to our Father in prayer for the incident that has just occurred Our Father, we know that there are things that we don't know that you know and we just pray that your blessings and your intervention and that your help will be on this medical situation that has just arisen. We pray for all who are involved and all who will be that you'll bless all of them and that this will turn out not to be that which is uh, too critical or too dire. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about not settling for less. And I want us to notice that there is a second area of application that is important for us to see. If we're not going to settle for less, I want us to see that God does not want us to settle for less in working for the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 is a very familiar passage. And it comes right at the end of how the Apostle Paul has been dealing with the resurrection, which is the centerpiece of our hope. And he says, be steadfast, unmovable, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You'll notice there that the Apostle Paul gives two commands and two ways that that command is fulfilled. He says, as Christ is your hope, as Christ was raised from the dead, and you're going to be raised from the dead, how does that translate in you're not settling for less? Well, he says in the first place, here are the commands, I want you to be steadfast. Steadfast means firmly and solidly in place. There's a different word used in Acts 2 and verse 42. It says that the disciples continued steadfastly. That means that they stayed close by. That's a great principle. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is is that you plant your foot. You stay put and you don't move. You ever seen one of those movies? where, Or maybe we've heard about it in the annals of military history where somebody steps on a landmine and they're stuck there and if they move it's going to blow up. You know, you think about it, if you find yourself in that situation, you're going to stay put, you're not going to move. It's this idea that the Apostle Paul is putting forward. He's saying is, with regard to your faith, put your foot down and you stay there. And akin to that, he uses a synonym, he says, I want you to be immovable. I don't want you to be moved from that spot. Did you ever play King of the Mountain when you were growing up? You remember how that would be and the, the more steep, the, the hill, the fun of the game was and you'd get up there and there'd be guys grappling and trying to scrap and put their on top and the thing is, is it would be easy once you're up there, it'd be very difficult for you to stay. Somebody would knock you off. The idea is the Apostle Paul is saying that you get down and you hold yourself in place so that nobody can fool you or force you off of that spot. The Apostle Paul is saying, look... If you don't want to settle for less, if you want to abound in the work of the Lord, there are going to be those who try to knock you off your spot of faith, who are going to try to get you to change your mind, but do not do that. Well, how do you do that, Paul? Always abound. There's our word in the work of the Lord. Knowing. So it's abounding in knowing. I'm going to do all that I can and be all that I can. I'm going to overflow in my faith. My faith is going to mean more than sitting on a pew or having a name in a directory or having a fellowship of faith. It's going to be a faith that walks out of this building and out into the world. As James says in James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer also, he's like a person who looks at his face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes his way and he immediately forgets what manner of person that he was. But whoever continues in the perfect law of liberty, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in what he does. Paul is saying, in the discharge of your duty, you're not just doing it to help the church to grow. You are uh, are abounding in the work of the Lord. It's God's work. Everything that you do in the exercise of your faith It benefits and it pleases our God. That's humbling. But he also says you're doing this. You're steadfast, you're unmovable, knowing that your labor is not vain. That can be the struggle. Sometimes I know that what I'm doing is making a difference right now, but sometimes I won't know until eternity the good that I have done. You realize as people look into your life and see you on a daily basis, you're impressing them, you're influencing them. In 1715, the French uh, took over the island state of Dominica. And uh, as the result of that, they impressed some of their cultural practices on them. And one of the practices that they transmitted to the people of Dominica was the idea that when somebody died in the community, their life would be evaluated by the community leaders. And if that person was seen to be ungodly or unproductive, they would put on their grave marker. You have lived for nothing. Do you sometimes wonder, am I living for nothing? What difference am am I making in my life? How can I know that I'm not living for nothing? Well, Jesus says things like this. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life. As we orient all of our life around Christ and around His will, we can know, we can know that what we do is not in vain. If you want to not settle for less, if you want to abound, abound for the edification of the church, yes, but abound also in your work for the Lord. And I want to look at one other place before we close our lesson today. Don't settle for less when it comes to your source of comfort. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, For even as our sufferings are abundant, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. By the time that Paul gets to, and he sits down to write this letter, he's been through a whole lot. It's an incredible thing to walk through 2 Corinthians and to see everything that Paul has suffered because he was a child of God. In chapter 1 and verse 8, he talks about how he and Timothy had suffered so much in Asia. And they were struggling. They were filled with distress. In chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, he talks about all the external pressures that he feels simply for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he talks about how he has suffered beatings and imprisonments and dishonor and sorrow and need and poverty. In chapter 6 and verse 10, he said we had fears within, conflicts without, chapter 7 and verse 5. Paul was getting criticized right down to the way that he talked and he looked. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7. Apparently somebody brought up the fact that the apostle Paul was not a trained speaker. In chapter 11 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul, some question whether or not he was an apostle. Chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. And on top of all of that, Paul mentions 26 things he specifically suffered by way of persecution. Simply for preaching and living Christ. Look at verse 22 through 29. And then on top of all of that, in his personal life. The Apostle Paul said, I had a thorn in the flesh that simply would not go away. Chapter 12 and verse 7. Notice with me, from Paul's dear church to his love Paul, Paul is dealing with all the things that he is struggling through in the exercise of his faith. I believe that one of the things that we struggle with all the time is when life throws me curveballs. And I deal with the difficulties that come with being in this body, on this earth. Where do I turn? What do I do when I'm just hurting and I need some comfort? The world is looking in every direction to answer that question. We look for substances and substitutes. We want consolation. We look for escape. Some kind of coping tool. And as, as we do that, we just... I feel like the more that we try, the more that we cannot find it. But I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul lived the last several years of his life under a death sentence. And there was a word, an idea that the Apostle Paul kept falling back on. It was not why, as in why me. It was not woe, as in woe is me. It was not surrender, as in I give up. The Apostle Paul uses the word comfort. 19 times in this short letter. Did you know that he uses the uh, the word from that word family? 29 out of the 59 times that it appears in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul shows us what goes along with comfort. He talks about joy. Four times he says, I rejoice. And he talks about the exceeding joy that he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 4. He talks about the word, the idea of peace. He begins and he ends the letter with peace. It's the peace that passes all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds through Christ. Philippians 4 and verse 7. And then he uses the word hope. You'll count through 2 Corinthians and 7 times Paul uses the word hope. 45 times in all. And I want you to think about that. Here's a man who's often in prison, who's beaten, who goes through so much. And what is a word that he keeps coming back to? It's the idea, the concept of the hope that he has beyond the present circumstances. And in all of this, the Apostle Paul says, look, don't settle for less in the source of your comfort. And here's the incredible thing. We find unmatched comfort from God. You'll find a heavy concentration of that word comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through verse 7. And this comfort is comprehensive. God is the God of all comfort. There is not a struggle, a hurt that you're going through where God's not sufficient to provide comfort in that. He's the God of all comfort. It's also a comfort that is plentiful. Verse 5, it's abundant. It's a comfort that's located. You can't get it any way you want to, anywhere you want to. It's through Christ. And it is a comfort that is effective. Verse 6, if we had nothing else and nowhere else to provide us with comfort, the fact that we serve a God of all comfort will help us in those times when we feel like we're all alone. Paul felt that way. 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, everyone had left me. But he knew that God had not. When you're struggling with the difficulties of life and you feel like nobody understands, you have the God of all comfort that you can turn to to help you through that. That's enough. But it's not all that God gives. When you're looking for the source of comfort, he also says that we find comfort from one another. You go over to the 7th chapter of 2 Corinthians in verse 4 through 7 and the Apostle Paul says, Titus is this great comforter. He is comforting us and he's comforting you. And Paul would even reach out to the Corinthians and he would say, Hey, thank you very much. We and Titus, we looked at you and in our grief and in our suffering and our shortcomings, you comforted us. Let me ask you and think about this very carefully. When you have suffered a loss, when you have been discouraged, when you have been hurting... How often have the people of God reached out to you and have provided that word, that uh, that moment of help that has spelled all the difference? One of the great resources that God has set up on this earth to help us to cope with that valley between life and death is the church, one another. And God supplies comfort through each other, you and me, to each other. That's not the only source of comfort. There, God, it says, there is comfort to be found from within. At the end of that letter, in chapter 13 and verse 11, the Apostle Paul points to the idea that, you know what, we have enough comfort from God in heaven. But we also have comfort uh, from one another, but we also can stockpile that comfort in times when we need it. So Paul would say things like be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. We have charge of that. We can do that. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. It is said that Brittany fishermen, when they got in their boats to go fishing, would say this prayer. Help me, my God. My boat is small, but the ocean is wide. And there are times when you're going to feel like you're intimidated and scared by the things that this life brings. But God has provided comfort from above, from around, and from within. Not a big game show host, a game show watcher. I've never been a game show host. (laughs) But there was a show that has now been shown and produced in several different countries since it debuted in America in 1963. And you probably know kind of how this works if you've ever watched it. There are members of the studio audience that are better known as traders, and they're asked to come up on the stage. And when they come up, they're given something, something of presumed value. And they are told that they can either keep that or they can exchange it for something that's behind door number one or door number two or door number three. And here's the risk that's involved. What they have may be worth less than what's behind door number two, but it might be worth a whole lot more. And so they're struggling. Of course, you know, Monty Hall was the first one to host this. Let's make a deal. That is not how the Christian life works. When we come to Christ, we bring Him our broken life. And what He offers us is transformation and salvation. And when we give Him ourselves, He is never going to trick us or fool us. What He gives us is always better than what we had before Him. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in First and Second Corinthians. Listen, you don't have to settle for less in your faith and in your life. But how do you get more? Well, it's not the way the world will tell you. You get more by abounding to the edification of others. It will fill your heart and your life when you make it your goal to help the church be stronger, bigger, and better to the glory of God. You also will find yourself abounding. You're not settling for less when you abound in working for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, knowing whether you can see it now or you have to wait until later, it will prove that it's not been useless. And as you cope with the day by day, don't settle for less in finding your source of comfort. One of my favorite Bible writers outside of the body of Christ in the 20th century was a well-known man by the name of Francis Schaeffer. And Francis' wife was named Edith. And they lived the last several decades of their lives in Grion, Switzerland. And it would happen there, as it happens so often in our country, that occasionally there would be somebody coming by to panhandle. They called them hobos who would come along and would ask for some help. And what would typically be said was something like, they would say to Edith, can I have some coffee and maybe some bread? What she would do is she would immediately sit them at a table and she would come and bring them steaming soup and thick sandwiches cut and made fancy on a plate with garnish. And her three children would make a small bouquet and would bring it and she would put a candle on the table and would really just lay out a spread fit for a king. And typically the man would say something like, for me? And she would say, yes, and coffee will be ready in a minute. I wonder sometimes if we approach God in that way. And we say, God, I, I just—I I don't want anything else. I just want help in this relationship. I, I don't, I'm not asking anything more from you. Can you help me with that? Can you help me with this problem that I'm dealing with? I just want to get through it. I just want to feel better on the other side of that. Sometimes we even say something like this. There's this thing. If I just had this thing, God, I'd be happy. I would. I won't bother you anymore. And what God is saying is, listen, sit down at my table because I have so much more to give you. I gave my son so that you can have The abundant life spiritually. I want you to spend your eternity with me. That's what I want to give you. And certainly we would say, For me? Who am I? That's how much our God loves us. That He would give His Son for us. That we don't have to scrape by or subsist. We can have the more that He came to give us. How does that happen in our lives spiritually? It happens by responding to His grace. He supplied the sacrifice, what we needed. We could not supply for ourselves. We supply a belief in that sacrifice that leads us to repent of sins and to be baptized to have those sins washed away. Full disclosure the baptistry's not ready here. But we will take you immediately. We have a plan B. We have a contact, and it's only about four or five minutes away. If you're ready to be baptized, we promise it will be only minimally delayed while we help you to do that. That may be your desire. You may want to do that. We want to help you. As a child of God, perhaps you have been just scraping by. And you realize that there's so much more that God intends for you to have. Maybe it involves you making a turn in your life to come back to Him. Maybe you realize you can't do it alone and you need that help that comes from one another. It would be our honor to pray with you and to encourage you if this is your invitation. If you need to respond, why not right now as we stand and sing?